This United We Stand podcast is brought to you in association with The Athletic, a place you go for top quality sports writing. There's no clickbait, there's no pop-up ads, there's no ridiculous transfer rumours to be let down by. Just top quality sports and football writing. There's loads of Manchester United stuff on there. Last week I spoke to Neil Wood and he talked through the emerging youngsters at Manchester United. Daniel Taylor did a big piece on Ravel Morrison. Laurie Whitwell's done several pieces in the last week. And Carl Anker is writing about Manchester United as well. New subscribers can take advantage of a special offer where it's £1 a month. If you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash United We Stand, that's theathletic.co.uk forward slash United We Stand. And new subscribers can try some of this brilliant sports writing for just £1 a month. Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. Leaving Old Trafford and Manchester United. Just been beaten 1-6 at home to Spurs. And probably not the best person to be doing this podcast. If there were fans here then it would be the type where... Uh, you know what type of podcast it'll be everyone will be fuming thank you and and rightly so uh, United have unfortunately been beaten 1-6 one, one at home before against City but that was when United were decent that was when United recovered from it and should have actually won the league that year in 11-12 oh, this was shocking I feel sort of conflicted or all over it because it's um, walking around the back of the Stratford end now and you can see that the players are about to get on one of the two buses and well, they're starting to now they don't have to do any of the usual media uh, in fact the Tottenham players are walking out right by me now five metres away ok mate this way yeah I can get out yeah so, yeah, there's the Spurs players who completely outclassed United walking under the Stratford end now. So I sound pretty shit because I feel pretty shit. Um, but, uh, thank you. All right, I'm all right, mate. Yeah. United we stand. Yeah, I do some of them as well. I have some nice books in the background. That's me. Take care, mate. Thank you. God bless to you. Bye-bye. Love the people in Manchester, the people. A lot of the people who work at the club are local people. And I walked around the ground before the game and it's so sad, everything's empty. It's just so sad. Pub's empty, the shops are closed, shops are for sale, and we know why. Thank you. Bye bye. See ya. We know why. And we don't know when it's going to end. And came here today optimistic of United winning a game, fourth game on the run. Don't think I'll ever lose that optimism thinking United are going to win every single game that they play bad it since I've been like six and 40 years later I'm probably not going to change 
and wanted to in the weekend with a smile just it's about to start explaining that um had a shit few days um went to brighton and maybe i'll put some of the brighton podcast on this because it was supposed to go out at the end of the week but it didn't uh saw a lady really suffering from mental illness on the train to brighton i spoke to her and she was desperate she had a manchester accent tried to help her just horrible and then saw the game at brighton traveled back north um and had a pretty sharp pain inside inside my stomach, which didn't go away, and ended up going to A and E, and into hospital for the first time since I fell off my BMX when I was ten. I swear the pain was excruciating, and they gave me morphine and uh, wheeled me in for a CT scan at Trafford General, where I was born, where Morrissey was born, the first NHS hospital. The man who wheeled me in said he was a big red. That's what football does in this city. It really matters. United or City or many of the smaller teams. Football really matters here. And travelled around the world writing about it. And nowhere have I seen that football matters as much in the north of England. And got to include Liverpool in that and Newcastle and Leeds and Glasgow as well, actually, in Scotland. And got told that they found a kidney stone and uh, four millimetres so put me in an ambulance first time in my life took me to Withenshaw A&E sat there waiting for hours saw a man come in in handcuffs guarded by eight police officers it was really aggressive and spoke to nurses and doctors from Pakistan Spain Liberia, Moss Side, Surrey. It's wonderful NHS and everyone says it a lot but I got to benefit from the treatment of it. It kept me in overnight in Withenshaw and I still wanted to go to a game on Saturday but the doctor said, no, 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 you're staying here for a little bit. Uh, and gave me loads of painkillers so what I had was nothing like as serious as... Uh, people in the ward next to me I just want to explain why um, probably sounding as shit as I feel even worse since United lost that game so United I feel conflicted because I generally thought Ollie was doing well post post January Bruno Fernandes did really well lifted the team they were unbeaten and lots of players improved I was excited watching the progress of Mason Greenwood. Believed it, Ollie. Club acted well in the lockdown. Did loads of really decent things. And then the season ended pretty disappointingly. I was in Germany. And the FA Cup defeat to Chelsea. That was horrible, that game, that Chelsea game. United just didn't turn up. It surprised me that. And United reached three semi-finals, but truth be told seemed a long way away from winning any of those cup competitions I've seen some of the players drive past me now in some ways it's good that there were no fans inside that ground today and don't say that in a patronising way but the reception would have been uh, appropriate 
to the players. None of them were good today, and the manager wasn't good. Nobody is good. Everyone's got to take some share of this blame. And I felt that that goodwill towards the end of the season and that good mood, it's, it's evaporated during the transfer You're on window. Your way. Because as I speak, United have signed one player. I spoke to Ollie in March and he said he wanted two or three players to have a team capable of pushing towards the titles. I don't think anyone expected United to win the title this season. And then Donny van der Beek's come in. He must, he must wonder what on earth he's joined. A team that's conceded 11 goals in opening three Premier League games lost the first two home games for the first time since 86-87 I can remember that season it was when Ron Atkinson was sacked and Alex Ferguson joined it took three years to get it together it took him a long time I'm struck between even now I feel I should support the manager because I do believe a lot of good things are happening there the youth system but I see games like that and not just that one, that wasn't isolated. <laughs> Brighton probably deserved to win against United in that league match. And you wonder whether the manager's going to be a top coach or whether he just wants to steady the ship and pass on to somebody else, but that ship doesn't look steady. Six goals at home. OK, Martial shouldn't have done what he did. And if he went off, Lamella should have gone off as well. But this season started in a really erratic manner. The defeat on to Palace. Paul Pogba's been dreadful. Forwards aren't firing. Do nothing match after match. De Gea was best of a bad bunch today. But it's the defence where the most scrutiny is. Quite rightly so. Eric Bailly was given a game. Why hasn't he been given a game? Well, the coaches feel that there's a mistake in him all the time. At least once a match. This was a mistake with him inside two minutes today. And also, he's injury prone. He clearly doesn't want to be injury prone, but he is injury prone. But he got his chance because he's played well in the two League Cup games at Luton and the night in the rain at, at Brighton. Well, is he, he going to get another chance? Harry Maguire, supposed to be a leader. I know someone who's very senior at this club who watched that Palace game and just said there are no leaders here and Maguire for being diplomatic is learning to lead and maybe Cavani I'm told he's coming in can help him uh, am I an expert on Cavani? no spoke to him a few times watched him a few times so I called uh, Diego Forlan and I said just be straight with me can, can he, will he do well at United can he still play and he said yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think them two are big mates. I know enough about him to know that they weren't big mates. And he would have absolutely told me off the record because he has done about other players in the past who he knew. So, yeah, maybe he could come in. But why Cavani? Why at this last minute? It smacks of, of, of desperation and another muddled transfer window where the fans have just lost faith in the club's recruitment system. And when we interviewed Ed Woodward for United We Stand in October, he went in great detail to explain about the recruitment system and how it had been rebooted. OK, so you take that at face value. And then you look at the evidence this summer and 
this might go out as new signings are flying in on the final day. And you'd expect them to now because it was a way of burying the bad news of a 6-1 home defeat, but that's max of short-termism. And I know there are COVID factors. I know the economics of the club and every club have been hit. I'm standing here and they're all driving past me now. There's about there's a crowd of four young lads waiting. They're trying to look recognise who are in these expensive German cars with the windows which make it difficult for you to see who's actually inside them. And there's a lot of security around as well. To get into Old Trafford as a, as a journalist, you've got to go through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different checks. It is extremely thorough. But that doesn't matter. It gives a shit about journalists and how they get into matches. We give a shit about the team who we love and support through thick and thin, who I think we hoped would close the gap this season and still might, but it's been a dreadful start to the season and an odd start. The teams who played in Europe in August have had the wobbles. You've seen strange results all over the place. You've seen Everton, who spent a lot of money, doing really well. Um, Leicester are doing well. and The United went to Leicester in the last game of the season and beat them in a really important... Can you hear the engines of these cars going past, which cost a fortune with the footballers in them? and They get the hero status because they play for the biggest club in England, one of the three biggest clubs in the world. And I see the mess at Barcelona as well, one of the other two biggest clubs in the world. But they've not started this season badly like Manchester United have. I can see the, the words on top of the Ferguson stand. 25,300 seats. We've got one stand bigger than your ground. Manchester United, it says, with Alex Ferguson's statue below it. I wonder what he thinks. You get an idea what he thinks, but he's never going to say it publicly. And he still goes to matches. He's seen all sorts of former legends at matches. They can be a blessing and a curse as well. And when Sir Matt Busby, one of United's other legendary managers, stepped down, there were a lot of people chipping in, offering advice and opinions. And even Fergie described it in his book as the junior board. People always willing to give you opinions and tell you how to pick the team. And he had the single bloody-mindedness just to have courage in his own convictions, even when they weren't popular, like selling Paul Ince, Konchelskis and Hughes in the summer of 95. Imagine if social media would have been around them. Someone's got to make these decisions every week because there's now a new audience which is consuming football. And I see Liverpool fans online going apeshit because their club haven't signed the players they want. And I just think... You're the current world champions. You're the league champions. But this is what they're up against now. But it shouldn't be unreasonable to expect Manchester United to be better than this. They spent a fortune. Even Ollie's been backed with money. Can criticise the Glazers all day long. And we have done. For their structure. But huge amounts of money have been squandered by the club uh, in these post-Ferguson years. Recruitment has been really poor. And 
Ed Woodward has to take some of that blame. There's very little faith in him among fans in the Glazers ever since that takeover happened. And it should never have been allowed to have happened, even though it was legal. Weak financial rules allowed that to happen. And fans just see absent owners. Not absent, that's the wrong word. Owners taking huge dividends every year. Now, they've increased the, the revenues that the club bring in commercially. I've long written about failure to sufficiently upgrade Old Trafford and fans can't help but make comparisons to other clubs. It's complicated. I'm not an advocate of the ownership model of City or Chelsea or PSG. I don't think that's good for football. And I also see the fan-owned Barca, which as a kid I used to think was the perfect model, and it's not. It's far more political than any football club I've ever seen. So I don't know what the perfect ownership model is. Clearly fans love it when a benefactor comes along. But is that sustainable? The thing with United is United are that big, they don't need any benefactor. The funds are self-generating, the support is so big. And the Glazers are taking money out. But what's the plan B? What is it? Who's there waiting in the wings? What is it? What can fans protest for? I've not heard any decent suggestions. And the thing with the protests is they vanish after a few decent results or a few good, good signings. Just melt away. So that shows what matters to a lot of people. It's now been beaten 6-1. The night's closing in now. On United, saw the draw on Friday, Thursday for the Champions League. It's a tough one, PSG. Trip to Istanbul, trip to Leipzig. And I worry about this team. I'm saying this, I'm getting pings to say that Teles, Alex Teles, that's how you pronounce it in Portuguese, Teles. He's from the Rio Grande do Sul in the south of Brazil. And same place as Anderson and Rodrigo Possibon and many other footballers. Alex Teles has signed from Porto. I mean, it's a left back, it looks like he's needed because there's times where Luke Shaw has looked convincing and there's times where he's looked atrocious and he was one of... Most every player was atrocious today. I'm sure it was. So, more competition for Shaw because it seems that Brandon Williams is not yet considered of sufficient quality to provide that. I'm hearing that uh, a couple of clubs are looking to take him on, Premier League clubs. I don't think United would object to that, from what I'm told. And Cavani, I, and also I wrote about another Uruguayan in July... Um, Facundo Palestre and I wrote that because uh, I spoke to Forlan and he told me that, um, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had asked him about the player so I mean my sources weren't bad on that one and I checked out with the club and they confirmed it but it hasn't happened yet and 
you won't be surprised for more if there's more drama on deadline day. Because United are reeling a little bit. And there's been a lot of strange results going on in football. But not buying that as an excuse. I do think that the Premier League is becoming more equal in, in so much as the smaller teams have money, they don't have to sell players like they used to. And but players still want to win trophies. And to do that, they want to go to the biggest clubs or the clubs most likely to win trophies. And for so long that was United. But it's losing it a little bit now. One thing Vorland actually said about Cavani was he's used to winning trophies. And there's not teams stuffed with players who are used to winning trophies at United now so that might be a good influence and we might get the there's like an effect of 16-17 where the Swede had an excellent season or it might be more like Falcao who was struggling to recover from a serious injury and got the next games when is it that's it now isn't it got the jeez I hate it when it's like this two weeks of negativity because the last result was a bad result. And then it'll feel like a season's starting again then because probably you'll have new signings in and the team will look sufficiently different, significantly different. And that reminds me again of 2014 when after a bad start and that home defeat to, Chelsea, to Swansea, United then went out and bought Di Maria and Falcao United beat I think it was QPR at home 4-0 and that's when everybody thought yeah the season started here we brought the signings in we're away and then United went to Leicester and got beat 5-3 and set a template for a real up and down season where in the spring United won four consecutive games I remember him beating Liverpool City Tottenham Villa I think but it ended in disappointment and it's been up and down ever since what baffles me at the moment is how a team which looked so good uh, before the lockdown and immediately after the lockdown is now looking so bad and everyone's talking about a defender a need for new defenders as if they've been saying it for ages but when Ollie told me in May I wanted to build from the back I didn't disagree with it and I never thought that Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof were Vidic and Stam. But the defence wasn't conceding many goals. Wan-Bissaka was seen as a good signing. His form's fallen off a cliff. Maguire was seen as a good signing. Ditto. And so the confidence that came with those improvements has just evaporated. The club's activity in the transfer market, or the lack of it, which includes moving players on, because these players have been given massive contracts and nobody can afford to take them off United's books. So the club are getting approached and offered pittance for players and expecting United to subsidise the wages and saying, yeah, but you're Man United, you can afford it. And the club's argument is, if you're not prepared to pay, then you're not going to value that player. You're not going to play that player. You're not going to add value to that player to improve his confidence. So 
it's all a little bit of a confusing mess. And you could say that about other parts of football at the moment. The results seem to be bizarre. And indeed, about, about the world. And we're going to this, the transfer deadline day. And I'm sure that'll be another roller coaster. And maybe a player comes in and everyone gets a sort of the rush of the endorphin hit and players move on. But it's not very stable. It doesn't seem stable. And I felt that when United had the unbeaten run, and to be fair, it's still unbeaten away from home. United have not lost in 16 away games, apart from on neutral venues. And yes, neutral venues are where the Cups are won. But United haven't lost away since since January. At, uh, well, there was four defeats in January, weren't there? Started at Arsenal, crap. New Year's, 2nd of January. Liverpool was also there, and then there was a defeat against City as well in the League Cup. So I feel that it's like two steps forward, one step back. But United need to be doing more than that this season. I don't think that people will accept another season of being in sixth until the last minute. I think an improvement is expected, and that's quite right. United have spent a lot of money. They've got a huge wage bill. In theory, there's a lot of talented players there, but so many of them look so average. Tottenham were completely ruthless today against United. Totally overran United's midfield. Matic, Pogba couldn't cope with Tottenham's lads going through. Son was brilliant, Harry Kane was brilliant, you're quick thinking. United looked like a team without leaders. The manager must take some criticism for that as well as any manager should after losing a game like that and after the start of the season. It's not been good enough and he'll be judged by his results. But he also needed to be backed. But he also shouldn't be losing any game 6-1 at home and should be doing far better than the start of the season that United have had. So I'm going to flick back now to Rochdale last week. Just a little chat uh, where I went to see United's under-21s. a great game of football. And then to Brighton, and then to the end. We're working, and we've nearly finished the next issue of United We Stand. It's a really good issue. It's probably the opposite of the type of content that you'd find screaming at you on social media. But if you want to order a copy or order a subscription, um, please do so as quickly as you can, because we're getting the list together for the next issue, like by Monday. And if you want to order a single issue, uh, PayPal 3.99 for the UK, 5.49 for Republic of Ireland in Europe, to uwsmag at yahoo.co.uk. We'll get you the mag posted out next week. Got some really interesting interviews there, and some thought-provoking pieces from excellent writers. Back to Rochdale. It's half time at Spotland Rochdale and Castor playing. The music here has always been really good here. And I remember coming 12, 15 years ago and hearing She Comes in the Fall by the Inspiral Carpets and thinking, you don't hear that at many football grounds. I'm delighted to be with Dave, the man who does the tunes, has done them for a long time. And I tweeted a picture of Dave out before the game 
and the love coming in from for him from players who've played here. Um, Martin Gritton, who played for Grimsby Town, Plymouth Argyle, Torquay, uh, journalists who've been here, uh, former managers, rival fans. Brilliant, it's lovely to see, and he, he's, he's absolutely delighted with it. So tell us your story. How long have you, have you been doing the tunes here at Dale? What are your musical influences, and, and what's your background? What do you do as a day job? Uh, it's coming up to 20 years now since I started here. Next year it'll be 20 years. And um, I was in a really privileged position, really, that when I started here, they let me do what I wanted. And I make a living out of being at a nightclub and concert DJ, playing indie music and Manchester music. And at the time, there were no grounds really playing that kind of music. So when I started here, like I say, Rochdale allowed me to do it. And we've got a really good reputation for it since. So, yeah, it's a privileged position. We play loads of classic music and a few new bands as well. So it's great. What's this coming on now? Seahorses, uh, Seahorses, yeah. nothing but bangers. Brilliant. And what sort of feedback do you get from, from Dale fans? Mainly good, obviously. I think whatever music you play, there's always going to be some fans that don't like it. But generally, you know, most fans absolutely love it. And, you know, it's great for me that we get so much good feedback. But it's also great for the club as well that, you know, we, we get so much press and media coverage for the music. So, yeah, the majority absolutely love it. And like you just said, then we're looking at away, when away fans and away players come and stuff. You know, it's uh, we get a really good reception for it. And Dale players, managers, oh, rival they, managers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they've all loved it. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, Brian Barry Murphy and, you know, Lee Riley, I speak to them a lot about music. When Keith Hill was here, he made no secret that he was a massive music fan. And there's a few managers that come and, and you know, love it. Gary Bowyer, when Gary comes, he's a massive, massive like music fan. So whether he's here just watching the games or here as a manager, always have a good chat with him. And it's always great to see Gary as well. And, yeah, it's, it's good. It's just a great position to be in. And, like I say, it's good for myself and for the club. Rochdale are playing Manchester United's 21s tonight. When I was growing up in the, in the 80s, Dale were the team that were always 89th, 90th in the Football League. They had the lowest average attendances along with Crew Alexandra. Spotland looked nothing like it does today. And then I came here at the start of the noughties when the ground started taking shape, not, not through any rich benefactor, but for having a brilliant youth system and through being a really well-run football club. And then 10 years ago, I came here and I, I walked out the station, past the town hall, which is beautiful, up to Scotland, and saw you get promoted. I was like, wow. Yeah. You're it, not supposed to be out, out the fourth division. It's, it's been a great couple of decades. And like you say, I mean, if you look at the ground now compared to what it was like over 20 years ago, and, you know, I can't take away the Keith Hill factor when Hilly was here. And again, you know, I think I'm proper privileged. I've been here both times we've been promoted I've been here when we got to Wembley and stuff and you know we're a league one club now and I feel that we're an established league one club it's where we belong and you mentioned about attendances obviously there's so many football clubs in Greater Manchester and the North West in general we're never going to have the attendances that perhaps you know Portsmouth or Carlisle do or, or teams like that but you know we've got you know a few thousand fans that come to every home game normally 3,000, you know, you get... That's what I mean, and, and they're loyal fans, and it's a, it's a, it's a great club, and I, I, I'm proud to work in, and like you know, Andy, as well, it's a friendly club, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, we, we've come on massive, and next year we've been a, a football league club for 100 years, so it's, uh, yeah, good things. Not every club around Greater Manchester has been as well run, and it's been really sad that Berry have gone under, Macclesfield Town... Bolton and Wigan fans have, have both been you know, shafted as well and shortchanged. 
by owners who at times have definitely been uh, dubious. Dale have had a good youth system and sold loads of players who've gone on. Several of them have gone on to be Premier League players. Yeah, massively. We've had loads. A lot of players that have gone through the youth team and gone through the ranks are players that perhaps have been, you know, nobody's been watching. They've been brought here and ended up going to, to good things. And Who likes it's, 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 Well, if, if you look at, I mean, Jamie Allen's the recent one. Yeah. You know, obviously he came through the youth team and has gone up. You know, Craig Dawson... Uh, Will Buckley, you know, Mendes Lang went to Cardiff. We've had, we've had a lot of players, and like you say, going back to about how the clubs run, I mean, it'd be easy for Rochdale Football Club to spend loads of money getting the championship, but they've never wanted to do that. You know, we've, we've got a great board of directors, it's a really well run club, we live by our means, and like I say, we're an established League One club now, and, you know, we're not in any trouble financially, and I'd much rather be here at a club that's well run and, you know, at the level we're at than be a club that like you say you know you've seen it with Berry, you know Macclesfield that you know spend perhaps more money they've got and end up where they are and it's tragic for the fans for the town for the community and of course the football players and staff as well Dean Alden was here briefly Dean is now the Bristol City manager winning every single game he plays and if there's any Bristol City fans listening to this I remember your vote in the summer when only 12% of you wanted Dean Alden as manager you're changing your tune now can I just Dean's say a great Dean's lad. a top man as well and he's another manager who's got a great taste in music top man Dean you mentioned community Tell me about the town of Rochdale because I walked through the town centre before and it, it's pretty hard bitten. You know, it's got the beautiful town hall and I know that there's social problems in Rochdale. I know that there's some beautiful countryside surrounding Rochdale. I, th- I think you've knocked the nail on the head there, really. When you look at the town centre, I mean, the town hall's amazing. A lot of the buildings are amazing. They've just built a new shopping centre and all that. So it's definitely moving forward. Perhaps it has been a bit deprived maybe over the years you know like you just mentioned when you go to some of the suburbs and the surrounding parts of Rochdale there's some beautiful places and you know with 20 minutes from Manchester we've got some amazing countryside and um, yeah it's, it's a you know it's a it's a great place Rochdale it's got its problems so have a lot of towns but I do believe that we're coming into a new generation now and hopefully a lot of the um, people of Rochdale will start supporting the club you know as well as the town which two football league clubs train in Rochdale <laughs> you put me on the spot there, Rochdale. I don't know one. Who's the other one? Barrow. If Hopwood Hall is in Rochdale, I think it, a Barrow trainer. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. Well, I never knew that. You taught well, me just, something there, Andy. Yeah, I'm, I'm a geek for uh, stuff like that. <laughs> Gracie Fields, she was Rochdale. Lisa Stansfield? Yeah, massively. I mean, Gracie Fields was, you know, back in back in them days, there were no one bigger than Gracie Fields and Lisa Stansfield wears her heart on her sleeve. And does she I still live that, here or did she move to that London? I think she moved to Ireland, um, but I know that when she's back in Rochdale, she turns up at games and stuff, Lisa, so, and they've just put a statue of Gracie Fields in the town centre a year or two ago. So, yeah, you know, I mean, you've just got to look at the heritage and you talk about the music from Rochdale. A lot of the Stone Roses stuff and a lot of the Joy Division and stuff was all recorded in Rochdale. So, it's got a great heritage, Rochdale. You just have to look for it. I was listening to a brilliant new podcast done by BBC Sounds about, it's called Ecstasy, and it's about that, the acid house scene. And um, People Hold On came on. And I, I got back home and, you know what we do with these days, put it into my devices and Lisa Stansfield came on, yeah. she was singing it. Yeah, it's massive. I've not listened to that yet. I'm looking forward to it. Sean Ryder's on it and all that. I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm looking forward to listening to that. So. It, it is brilliant. Yeah. How do you choose your tunes? Um, to be honest with you, when I'm out, like obviously at the moment it's different because of the pandemic, but normally I'm out four, five, six nights a week DJing and I'll just like, if I play something that's a bit different, that 
I don't normally play at a match. It's still a great record. I'll kind of like make note of it and put it down. And in the last year or two, we have got a Spotify account at Rochdale now. So every match, the match day music's put on the Rochdale Football Club Spotify account. The music we play before a game. So, so that stops me playing stuff twice as well. So that's good. So people could go on Spotify. Yeah, if you go on Spotify, Rochdale AFC, they have got an account, and it's. I think the last two seasons we've been doing it, all the games that you know the pre-match music leading up to it. What's coming on now? Uh, Rolling Stone, she's a rainbow. Brilliant, should have got that. <laughs> I'm disgusted for myself that I didn't because it's really distinctive at the start. I put you off. Say that. It's too. So, any changes, plans, or just? carry on doing the same thing and, and hope that fans come back to appreciate the team. Yeah, we've just got to hope that fans... I mean, it should have been this weekend fans are allowed back in the stadium. Um, we've just got to hope that fans do c- come back in sooner rather than later. Hopefully it's going to be at some point this season. Um, like you say, we're a well-run club, so financially I think we're going to be all right for certainly for the season. And we've just got to carry on. I mean, we've just got to hope that fans come back in and we carry on as we are, really. We've got a great manager, great youth set-up, a great football club, great board of directors and... Rochdale Football Club really hasn't got a great future so we just need the fans back to relish it your manager is from Cork I believe yeah yeah Ireland we've got a few Irish lads in the team now yeah we've got a lot of people who listen to this podcast in Ireland I think Dublin's like the fourth biggest city where it's listened to and Cork's about the seventh or something like that so I'm told that the manager is a big Roy Keane fan yeah it wouldn't surprise me one bit some great music coming out of Ireland as well. We've been playing Fontaine's DC at the moment, so we'll have to get the lads into them. And what other new music are you into? There's so many great bands at the moment. I get asked that a lot, and to be honest with you, the Northwest music scene at the moment, there's so many great bands at the moment. It's the best it's been for a long time. Name some of them. Who should we be listening uh, to? Scuttlers, The Big Peach, uh, Cobain Jones, um, Stanley's. The Lathams, there is, honestly, there's loads and loads of great bands at the moment. I'm losing it now, because the only one I've heard of there are the, the Lathams. Yeah, well, they're from Wigan, the Wigan band, yeah, yeah. Wigan lads. Great, great set of lads, and they, they've gone they've gone massive over the last year. But honest, honestly, like I say, we do play a lot of like classic music here, great anthems, but, you know, new music's important to us as well, because that's where the future is. But the Dove's new album last week, and we interviewed him in the new United We Stand, and they also bought um, Fleet Foxes. Yeah, I've not heard of Fleet Foxes for a bit. I've not actually listened to Dove's new album yet. I've I've heard the singles of it, but I am excited. I need to listen to it. I'm excited to hear it. I want to just carry on. What's your next song here? The next song on this is uh, Arctic Monkeys, Crescent Adolescent. And then Shed 7, Disco Down. That carries on going. I want to just keep uh, treating you all with uh, different tunes. So this podcast, um, last week we had a really good feedback to Ashley Westwood's one on Tactics. And Ash doesn't know it yet, but I'm going to try and get him on again because, you know, he's a UEFA pro coach and he knows his stuff. Um, I'm here at, at Rochdale. I'll probably speak to Neil Wood, the United manager, after the game. And maybe Nicky Butt. And then I'll get about five hours sleep and I'm going to get the eight o'clock train down to that London and then onwards to Brighton for the, the League Cup game. I'll leave you to it. Yeah, well, it looks like the players are coming back out. Thank you, though. Pleasure to talk to you, mate. Yeah, you as well. Thank you. So the players are coming back out now. It's a very young United under 21 team. Yeah, I've just got to remember that I'm uh, actually to write about football and not music. United's captain's a young lad called Fish. Um, there's also a pie here, so there's a fish in pie. Uh, Hannibal's walking out now. McCann. Um, the two lads in this very young United team. It's normal at half time. Uh, 
to watch out for would be Anthony Alanga and Fish as well. Um, some very promising players at the club. It's one thing being promising at 18 or 19 and making it into the first team. Hannibal is another player. Um, so things are looking decent from a, a youth perspective with Manchester United. Let's see, I managed to expand this out just to get the Arctic Monkeys on. If you're not dancing to this, you're doing something wrong. car with James Scowcroft and we've just hit the seafront at Brighton. We're going to go and have a swim in the English Channel which is rough. I can see the big tower thing in the middle of Brighton. It's called something like the BA Tower and uh, it's pretty bleak actually. This place in the summer or in normal circumstances, although not midweek in late September, it's a stag and hen do uh, central and Brighton and Nova Albion have been a success in recent years since they moved into their new ground in 2012. I saw the last game at their old ground with Dean. And United have beaten Brighton tonight uh, by three goals to nil. It's been a long, long day. Uh, James Scowcroft is a United fan and he was there working as a journalist. What did you make of United's performance, James, and who stood out for you? you got to say it's a good performance, Andy, in the end, haven't you? First half, you... I watched United warm up and I wasn't actually quite impressed. They come out, it seems a little bit lethargic. And, you know, Brighton went strong tonight. I think they were a little bit jarred off with how the weekend went. And I think they wanted to, you know, go strong, go big, you know, play a lot of the senior players. Uh, first half was very, very sort of cagey, really. But the game changes on the first goal. It was a good header by McTominay. Just see one matter's experience at times. I think that really, really helped. I think United are are young, there's not too many experienced players in, in the squad these days and second half to be fair, Brighton came out, they had a real good go at it, it was a world class save by Dean Henderson I have to say it's the first time I've seen him close up he didn't have a lot to do but his save was as good a save as you've seen and United to be fair were very very good in the latter stages and showed showed some togetherness which I haven't seen this season, showed a little bit of character um, the one thing you, you can gauge when you watch these games now at an empty stadium, you can hear the voices, you can you can see, you can hear what they're saying, you can hear the people that are vocal, the ones that aren't. And you know, I thought overall very impressed. And Do you know where we're going here, by the way? Got no idea. I'm just looking for this. Uh, My hotel. Rising damp hotel. <laughs> it's not rising damp. It should be. A, it should be a nice one. There it is. That's it. It's not the grand, unfortunately. We just went past the grand. That's where. Uh, there was the bomb at the Tory party conference in uh, about 84, if I'm not, not mistaken. It's all right, I'm on the seafront result. And um, individually, you, know, you mentioned Matt, I know you spoke to him. What did you say to him after the game? I just said, I know how much that must feel, even at his age, his experience, the amount of games he's played to come off having scored, man of the match. You know, he must be on a huge high. And, just said to him, does he still feel that he can offer a lot? Um, you know, maybe in the next couple of days, one or two of those United players might leave the club. One matter certainly would would appeal to, to certain clubs, maybe maybe abroad. Um, but I think I think United have got to be careful, and I think they need to be tactical who they who they give and who they who they make stay. And I think one matter there's a um, there's a place for him. You know, he lives his life well, he trains well, he always performs. He's got a goal in him and he's got an assist in him as well. You know, he's very, very uh, 
He's a very simple, good footballer. Uh, Eric Bailly had a, another good game in the League Cup. He played well against Luton last week. Eric Bailly gives United pace, Andy, at the back, and that makes a huge difference. That has a ripple effect all the way through the team. When, when you've got pace like that and you can push the opposition backwards and backwards and backwards, that then just pushes the midfield, it then pushes the forwards. Um, listen, it can be inconsistent, but I think with United's woes at the moment, I think whether it's alongside Lindelof or whether it's alongside um, Harry Maguire, I think there's a place for Eric Bailly in the team. And actually, I know, you know he's one of the quiet, but the last 20 minutes he was vocal as well, which, which surprised me, actually, because I didn't have had him down as somebody that can organise as well. What did you make of Donny van der Beek's performance tonight? I've got to say, I thought he was very quiet. And it's only two games in. You've got to give him time to settle. He's got to adjust. It's, it's always difficult. That uh, I know he's come from Ajax. Ajax has got a big reputation. But Dutch football to the English Premier League is... You know, almost the sort of the standard of you played, Andy, to a half-decent non-league player. It is a goal for difference. Um, so you have to give him time. But my biggest, my biggest fear for him is, I look at him and I'm thinking, what's his strength? I, I can't see a footballer there. I can't see, I can't see what he adds to United. Is he a goal threat? Well, he hasn't been so far. Is he an athlete in midfield or in that little pocket? No. Has he got quick feet? He's neat and tidy and technically OK. I just don't see what he adds to the team at the moment, which... Hopefully, I can learn soon. How much would you jump in the sea for now? Um, it'd have to be a lot of money. Why? Because I tell you what, you wouldn't get out. Yeah, it's rough, isn't it? It's a horrible night here, isn't it? It's horrible, but... Yeah, so you won't fancy your chances. A wave would just sweep you in and you'd be done for, wouldn't you? It'd be stupidity, mate, and you get the lifeguard out and everyone would say, what an idiot he was for doing that. So <laughs> it's it's a most quid. stupid, stupid... Reg- uh, I know lads request. in Manchester who'd do it for, like... <laughs> Well, you'd be in hospital in Brighton Infirmary at midnight because you'd be hypothermia. If they got you out, I remember growing up and um, I think like three people died in Blackpool. One fellow went in to rescue his dog and got stuck and someone else went in to try and help and they all died. And um, anyway, back to the... What what I would say is this a month ago would be bouncing along here. Yeah. This is where all the Londoners come out now. This yeah. is we spent a lot of money on this front. The hotels yeah. are good now. It's it's a brilliant night out. I was a Crystal Palace player here once we had our Christmas night out and we got halfway here then we got a phone call saying there's Brighton fans realised that we had to turn back and go back. Really? Yeah, there's a big rivalry between yeah. Palace and uh, Brighton and we were told no 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 you, you So get you back never in made London. it here? You never made it, no. Um yeah, I came on a stag do here in two thousand and twelve and uh as the best man, I made sure that he had a good weekend. And then I did want to watch Brighton and Ove Albion, like a proper little geek. Um, the fullbacks, Brandon Williams and Delart, a rare start for him tonight. Disappointed in Delart. I thought tonight he had an opportunity to express himself. It was a cup tie. He had licence to go forward, which is his strength. He didn't really do that. Um, I sat behind. Ollie and his, and his backroom staff, they were very, very vocal with Brandon, encouraging him to get forward and get wide. And uh, I actually thought Brandon had a good game. You know, he, he was comfortable in possession. He defended very well. His concentration is very, very good. Um, I just don't know what to make of... Uh, uh, I've seen him a couple of times. I saw him once, a couple of years at Old Trafford, and I thought he was very, very good. But he just hasn't improved. And, and as a footballer, you've got to improve. You've got to get better. Because Jose Mourinho said, we're looking at the new Gary Neville, the man who's going to be the right-back at Manchester United for years. It just doesn't look like that's happening. And that just shows if one man fancies you and another one doesn't, 
Well, I, I think any manager would fancy fancy a, a decent fullback. Fullbacks are huge in the modern day game. It's not going to happen for him at United, and, and he needs to move on and play and play games. Fred, steady, brings balance. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he doesn't give the ball away much. Um, I think for me, this this start of this season, still young into it. The biggest disappointment for me has been the midfield. The midfield are too ponderous. Bruno and Pogba take too many touches on the ball. You've got you've got the most exciting three young players in Europe, for arguably, and you've got to give them the ball. If, if your midfield, yeah, you've got to get the ball to them quickly, and that's one of the differences that Liverpool got. You know, they get the ball to the front three very, very quickly. I do not see if you look at Rashford's goal on uh, the weekend. Bruno receives it on his back foot, and his second touch is putting him in. I do not see that enough. I see time and time again that they turn away, they take four or five touches to go square, and you just you just take out your main threat at Manchester United, which is your front three at the moment. And I, and I don't understand why that's that's allowed to to creep in. You need to United need to get the ball as quickly as they can to those front three. Uh, Victor Lindelof, what do you make of his performance? Because he's come under a lot of pressure and there's definitely been a feeling that he's been coasting. Um, and this is from, from within the club. This isn't just me speaking as a fan or as a journalist. Because of a lack of pressure in his position. And he did keep another clean sheet tonight. Well, he played in a defence which kept a clean sheet. Are you convinced by him or do you not think he's good enough? Because um, there's, there's a feeling also within the club, to be fair to him, that... He's played very well in the past and he will play very well again. And he played very well against teams like Manchester City. I think if you look at the modern day centre-back and you look at the profile of an elite centre-back, one that's going to win you the title, one that's going to get you the latter stages in the European Cup, Victor isn't that profile. Mm. Is he quick enough? No. Is he good enough in the air? No. OK on the ball? Yeah. But you've got to be more than that. And I don't think he's got the profile there. That's why... I think having someone with the pace, you know, he could go tight, he could go and, and try and win the ball there because he had by his pace alongside him. Um, I, I, I don't think he's going to get there, Victor Lindelof. Um, I said it to you a year and a half ago, I thought United needed a new centre-back. I still still believe that's the case. That's that's a key area for them. And finally, Odio Nigolo. He's, it was bright for him going into lockdown. He's not good enough. No. No, nowhere, nowhere near good enough. No, I can't see him getting any more minutes now. Maybe in the League Cup if there's a, a home well, game in the quarter-final, but he's, he's off in... Listen, we, we don't know what's going to happen in the next four or five days in the transfer window, but you look at it and thinking, maybe United need a number nine. If they get a number nine, possibly a Rashford could go to the right, a Martial could go to the right. They, they could solve that equation by pushing one of those out to the right and having a number nine. You know, they're... they're you, know, you can't go and get the finished number nine. United have got to, to start now. They've got to start getting that number nine that's just about a breakthrough, like an Erling Haaland, like a Dominic Calvin-Lewin. They've got to get one of these players, one of those profiles, into the team. Calvin-Lewin's flying, isn't he? Doing really well at Everton. Doing very well, and he's, he's an English player with the new Brexit rules, which looks like it's going to... You know, quash the foreign players in, in your squad. You're not allowed so many English players are key for United. But it, so that's why United are buying young players from abroad, and there'll be more. Well, they might not by the end of the year. They might not be able to do it when when the Brexit. Rules no, that's happen. what I'm saying. Yeah. That's why they have been doing it, and there will be more before the well, end of the year. They're, they're also the the quality they've got in the academy isn't good enough as well. So they're filling it with with expensive young players. Yeah. You know my thoughts on that. I don't think any of them ever come through. I think it's a bit of a waste of money. But you know they'll learn the hard way there. 
Um, what do you reckon you at your peak? You reckon you could have played in that United team tonight? Why would you? I'd, I'd have put a shift in. Yeah. Yeah. What you at twenty-seven? Thirty was my peak. Was it? Because yeah. you were a Premier League striker, so you reckon you would have put. It, would you have been as I'd, bad? I'd have scored the head of McTominay. Would have done. Yeah. I'd have held the ball up. I wouldn't have run in behind. Why? Because I couldn't run. No. But I'd, I'd have given everything. Yeah. And I'd have shouted at a few people. But I'd have been knackered after 60 minutes and probably dragged off as well. Even at your fittest? And, and I'd have people like you absolutely slag me off on these podcasts. But that's, I'm, that's I'm, mine. I'm very fair. I am. I'm very balanced. I've got to come face to face with the people I talk about, not some fucking knobhead on an anonymous. I've got to back up my opinions. So I'll take that back, young man. <laughs> You must that, have got that, a bit. Come on. That's, that's, that's an issue that we, we will never have to discuss. It, it never happened and it wouldn't have happened. And it, and it would have stopped my enjoyment of watching Manchester United because I'd have found people out behind the scenes and thought, well, he's yeah, a bit yeah. of a dick, he's this, yeah. that and the other. I can't watch these every week. Yeah. So I'm quite happy doing what I do. Yeah. And enjoying being a United fan. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Uh, I'm going to head back to Manchester after a night's sleep here. I was in Rochdale last night, as you know, because we started the podcast there with Dave the DJ and Tottenham. There's a youth game on Friday and there's a women's game on Sunday. So let's see. must say that um, it is, it's crap without fans, but I do realise we're very lucky to be able to, to actually be inside the ground at these games as well but trust me it is nothing like what it is normally it is awful without awful. fans and I, and I see players at the moment missing out on big big moments I'll give you an example and you know, I know it's United but you look at someone like Patrick Bamford that scored a last minute winner for Leeds at the weekend at Sheffield in a Yorkshire derby that, that only happens as a player once or twice in your career and not to celebrate in front of your own fans it, it's your players are missing out as well thank you